Good morning. Good morning. Glad that you're here again. Um, listen, as a kiddo, when I grew up, um, I had this thought that I was going to be a professional baseball player, right? I don't know if you had like dreams or thoughts of who you would be. And so um, I, I typically would like watch a lot of baseball as a kiddo. And then I would go out in the, in the yard and I would pretend to be that person. And so I would watch the act, Dennis Eckersley, and man, that sidearm delivery, and that's what I would work on. And if I was a catcher, I would pretend that I was Benito Santiago, and I could hose you out from my knees, and then get up and just, man, I could just hose you from that. Uh, when I worked in my batting stance, I wanted to be cool and look like Julio Franco. If you remember Julio Franco, how he would do that. And sometimes I'd pretend I was at first base, and I'd be John Olderud, and so instead of having a hat, you would wear your helmet. And so for some of you, that, that's dating me, and you have no idea who some of those guys are. Others of you would say, man, where's Bench and Mantle and DiMaggio? And I, I get it, right? We all in our own place and time and history kind of have those guys that we see and try to emulate. But I share that story for a reason. The reality is imitating them was pretty easy. Why? Because at the ultimate, if I'm being honest, it was trying to be like for my own glory. Like, I mean, to be one of those guys was going to be cool and be rich and be on TV and like everybody would want to be like you and other kids would try to imitate me. And so like maybe behind that was ultimately like maybe just this idol of self driving it. And, and so the reality is it was easy, right, to go out and spend hours trying to pretend or practice to be these people and, and do these things. And I think that's what happens as we come to Christ is that Christ begins to encounter our kingdom, our self-rule, our self-dominance, our self-glory. And today's text challenges us to do something different with our heart's desires and what it longs for. It's a call to come and die. It's this moment when God's son suffers. And if we are to follow him, the reality is we too will suffer. It's this moment of encountering a suffering savior. And it's difficult. And let's be honest, like that's just, I mean, even the title suffering is the normal Christian life. That's like not like. That is like when people influence and bring people to the church. Like, I mean, people don't want to hear about suffering. Like, we want to escape that. But the text reveals, I think, to us how we, like Peter, have our own self-centered ideas about how life should go and what our God should do for us. And the tension, I think, that rises from the text is that Jesus suffers and so do his followers. In fact, in fact you might leave today, I hope and pray, convinced that Suffering is, in fact, the normal Christian life. It's this moment, again, I mean, as you're, if you've been with us, we, we were walking through uh, this great confession, right? And we heard Peter, right, he, last week as he was asked that question, well, who do you say I am? Verse 15 of Matthew 16. And Peter responded that you are the what? The Christ, the Son of what? The living God. And Jesus responded back to him, well, blessed are you, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says, I tell you the truth. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my what? Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, for whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. And he says, from that time or that point, right, he tells them, don't tell anybody that I'm actually the Christ. And so that's kind of the background of our story today leading up to this moment after this great confession that's been made that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the reality is Peter and the disciples and even us don't fully understand what that means. That statement is a statement of, yes, beauty and glory, but it's also a call to come and die. 
And so today, as we hear this, this idea that suffering is the normal Christian life, I want to show you first from this text that we have a suffering Savior. We have a suffering Savior. Listen to what happens. Verse 21 of Matthew 16. Listen to the opening statement. From that time. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We shared last week that, listen, Matthew 16, 16 was a high point of what Matthew's doing, right? That statement that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And now we have this transitional moment in the gospel of Matthew. There it is in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must suffer and die and go to Jerusalem. It's a change, a transition moment of Matthew beginning to scope in or zero in on the cross and the crucifixion and ultimately the glorious resurrection of Christ. It's in this moment that we have Christ being confessed as the Son of God and the Messiah. But the truth is the disciples like us have to understand what that means. Might we ask the question, well, listen to what he says. I mean, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed. Might we ask, like, why? What's happening here? I mean, again, think about this. To think that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, they have the thought that you're the king. And now you're telling me the king's going to be on the cross? That that God, the sinless Son of God, is going to be on the cross? Like it's this tension that's rising from the text. How can Jesus say these things? And Peter is is wrestling with that. I mean, because listen, look what happens here just a little bit later in this text. Verse 27 of Matthew 16. Jesus says to them, for the, this statement again, this is epic. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. They have absolutely no problem with that. The Son of Man, like, what does that mean, though? Maybe, again, again, remember, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience who would understand these type of language and verbiage, but us as Gentiles, as outsiders, we, we didn't grow up and, and know, what does that verbiage mean, Son of Man? Son of Man is, again, it, it's, an, it's an elite title. It's, it's a, a title that's unique because it comes from Daniel chapter 7. Look what he says in Daniel 7. As the prophet writes, looking toward the end of this glorious day, this coming, this returning that you sang about this morning. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 13 of Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a what, church? Son of man. See it there? There it is, right? So when Jesus says the Son of Man will come, right, he's, he's echoing Daniel 7. That's what, you've got to understand that to see what's happening here. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So clearly this son of man is someone different than God the Father, right? He's ancient of days, right? That's that's another title for God the Father. So this is someone different. And to him, this son of man was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see this statement of, of the Son of Man coming that Jesus makes here in Matthew 16, verse 27, is saying that, listen, I'm not merely human. I, I, I'm divine. It's, it's an affirmation that He is God in the flesh. He's saying, Peter, you're right. I am the Son of the living God. At the same time, He says, I want you to know that I, I'm also the Messiah. And that's the tension. You see, that for the Jewish people, they understood Daniel 7, that there was going to come this Son of Man, this glorious King is going to come, and He's going to throw off all oppression. He's going to rule and reign. 
They also know that there's this one in Isaiah 53 who says that we all like sheep have what, church? Gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, this suffering servant. But the challenge is, is that they don't see that the suffering servant and the son of man are actually one and the same. How could this be? How could the sovereign God, how could God humble himself and be crucified and killed and, and mocked on a cross? That, that There's just no way that that son of man, there's no way that God could do that. That just doesn't fit in our box. I mean, I mean, to say that we have a suffering Savior is like saying that we've got a Duke-loving Kentucky fan. I mean, like, for real, like, you walk into their house and, like, dude, I'm the mo- I'm the biggest UK fan you'll ever know. And, like, like they had this massive, this is going to be hard to hear for some of you, they had this massive picture of the shot. It's autographed by Leitner himself, right? And you're like, I'm going to vomit somewhere, right? I mean, like, I thought you were a Kentucky fan. I mean, like, listen, to say that we have a suffering Savior, that the Son of Man, the Son of God is going to die, that this, this, this one is going to suffer, it, it, it's like saying... That like prior to the election, Nancy Pelosi got on TV and said, I just want everybody to know for the record, I'm voting for Trump. You'd be like, mm, like that doesn't work. That's impossible. Can you, could you imagine that moment? Could you imagine that moment of, like again, a, a Duke-loving Kentucky fan? It's like it, it just, they don't fit. Like it doesn't seem to go together. And I think that's what's happening here. Again, we've talked about it. Every analogy falls short, right? But again, it gives you some type of like, oh, no way, that's not right. That's what's happening here. He's just confessed that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's made that good confession. And now he's telling them that he's going to suffer. He's going to go to Jerusalem and he's ultimately going to be killed at the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. We struggle because that's just not the savior that we see. That's not who he's supposed to be. We... I mean, the Jewish people, listen, I mean, you can imagine like Peter probably from the day that he was on the knee of his mother hearing those words about this coming, that one day Rome would no longer rule and we would no longer be under the oppression of these Roman rulers and, and there's going to come a king and there's going to come one who's the ancient of days. He's going to come and he's the son of man. He's coming, he's going to rule and, and we're finally, he's going to defeat all evil and he's going to throw off all injustice. And, but he's going to do it by suffering and being killed. It's... This moment of an upside down kingdom, like that doesn't fit. Like victory through suffering, exaltation through humility, strength out of weakness. But that's exactly who Jesus is. And the disciples, listen, not only Peter, right, who's going to struggle, the disciples, according to Luke chapter 9, the disciples all are struggling to understand this. Again, look what he says, though. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And he, listen, he's saying he must suffer and he must be killed. And in essence, we would even say, indeed, yes, he must be raised on the third day. This is what Jesus must do. But why? Because the truth is, this is how God will defeat our sin. This is how God overcomes the curse of death, is that the Son of God becomes man. And instead of giving in like Adam did and like you and I have all done, he doesn't give in. He resists every temptation. He submits perfectly to the Father. Therefore, when He goes to the cross to suffer and be killed, He has no sin of His own. Therefore, beloved, this is the gospel, the good news. He can die on the cross in your place. 
as your substitute because he is sinless and has no sin of his own. He must do this if you and I are to be forgiven. If you and I are to be accepted in the presence of a holy God, if the wrath of God toward us, God's judgment toward our sin is to be satisfied, then there must be one who could bear that wrath and judgment. And the Bible, Christ says, it's me. That's why I must suffer. That's why I must be killed. Again, as the prophet Isaiah said, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. It's just this epic moment of who Jesus is. The reality is the possibility of us coming and following God, it's just not possible apart from a Savior, the Son of God, who must suffer and die in our place. You, You see, the good confession has its power ultimately in the death and resurrection of Christ. You see it. That's why, listen, our good confession rests not in our good works. It rests in the fact that there is a sinless Son of God. You are the Christ, He says. You are the Messiah. You are the one who can save us. You're the living Son of God. It's only by Christ's death, only by His wounds are we what, church? Healed. But not only must He suffer and die, Jesus says that He must also be raised on the third day. Right, you, you sang the words there from the book of Romans as Paul writes that, and we were justified, right? His, his, by his death and resurrection, we've been justified. We've been declared innocent. The resurrection says that death is not the end. Hallelujah. It says that sin does not indeed have the final word, but God has triumphed. God rules and reigns. Listen, it's the good news that as we see Christ and his suffering, That there's one who can finally save and rescue us. But as we see this one, is it any struggle to recognize or realize that we too are called to suffer? I mean, like, again, the, the, the tension here is Peter is wrestling with this. How could this be? And so Peter, I think, is going to utter on behalf of us all this truth. Our opposition to suffering, or as Jesus is going to say, it's our opposition to the things of God. Like we just struggle to think and perceive that that could actually be true, that suffering could actually be a part of God's will. I mean, that, that's why, again, if you've gone through hard times, I've encouraged you before, First Peter in some way is a Job of the New Testament. As we see God's people suffering, so as you walk through hard times, I encourage you, First Peter, Peter let that be a, a book of manna unto you, that you feast on it. Why? Because First Peter reminds us in chapter 4, That we suffer according to God's will. But the reality is we all resist that. You, me, all of us. We're we're opposed to suffering. We're opposed often to the very things of God. And so Peter is going to say something shocking here. Listen to what happens. After again, Jesus makes this confession that, hey, you know what, Peter, you're right. I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But I'm going, I must go and suffer and be killed. And Peter takes him to a side Verse 22, and began to rebuke him. Wow. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Right? I mean, Peter says, listen, this just can't be who you are. That's just not the reality. The Son of Man, that's not who he is. The Messiah, that's not who he is. I just confess that you're the Christ, the Son, the living God. You can't go and suffer. And listen, I mean, like, Peter makes the good confession, and and, and six verses later, he's just confessed that I need a Messiah, I need a Savior, and now he thinks he knows more of God's will than God himself knows. 
Has that ever happened to you though? Have you ever had like a moment like when you were like, man, you were just worshiping God and like, man, everything was just absolutely great for you in your life. Man, you just like you were convinced that God is sovereign, he's ruling and reigning, everybody else is stressing about everything happening in the world. And man, you just got like, I mean, everything is just like, man, you're like, hey, it's good. And then that phone call happens or that text. Then that test result comes back. Then that wave of depression strikes back. Then that relationship struggles or ends. And you all of a sudden sit there and think, man, how could I be here in this place now when just last Sunday I was there worshiping and everything was great in my life and I just had no questions about God's goodness and His faithfulness and now all of this is happening and I'm starting to wonder like, God is, are you there? Do you see? Do you hear? And I think the reality is that's what Peter's saying. Like, Lord, like he rebukes him. Like, Lord, far be it from you. No, Lord. Why? Because suffering is not the path that we choose, nor do we think it makes the most sense. Why? Because I think the reality is this. Deep down, we all think we're pretty good people. And we think that at the end of the day, or maybe this is a struggle myself, like, man, God, I, I... Maybe some of those people deserve to suffer because they do it like, but God, like I'm trying to follow you. God, I'm trying to. And so I think this text has to say to us, I think it has to hit back on that idea that good people shouldn't suffer. Because here's the best. Here's one who's sinless. I mean, no matter how good you are today, I'm just going to be honest with you, man, that you and I are sinners. We're in rebellion against God. We sang it there in that last song. That you would have a rebel to your will. So it might matter again how good you are, how you rank yourself up next to your neighbors or the people across the pew from you today or your friends or other Christians you know and, and wherever you think you rank. The reality is you and I are still sinners. But there's one who is sinless. And he suffers in our place. Might it be a reminder to us that suffering is actually a part of God's will? That suffering is the normal Christian life. I think there's a danger, right, when folks come and preachers and Bible teachers begin to show us that because we're in Christ that we shouldn't suffer. That we should only receive the blessing of Christ. I think it falls apart because Christ suffered. Like, I mean, we, we said it back in the book of Isaiah, but don't be surprised if you follow the Savior, if you have a suffering experience. Because you follow a suffering Savior. Right? We shouldn't be shocked when things don't always go as we hoped or we had prayed. And Paul says in Romans 5 that these very things, this testing of our faith, so to speak, he says that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And he goes on to say that hope does not disappoint because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. That God is actually bringing good from our suffering. How do we know that? Because we see the greatness that He brought from Christ's suffering. Our freedom, our salvation, our eternity. Hallelujah! You can trust that somehow, God, even if I can't see it today, even if I'm struggling to believe it, that You are bringing good out of this suffering. Because I know what You did in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I know that all things work together for what? Good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so Jesus responds back to Peter, some really harsh words. 
Let's hear these stinging words now in verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is harsh, isn't it? I mean, like, come on. Get behind me what? Wow. I think what even highlights the harshness of this is that we've seen Jesus walk beside tax collectors and sinners and he welcomes them. I mean, yeah, he, sometimes he, he speaks words like it's, it's not the healthy who need a sick, but, or not the healthy who need a doctor, but the what? The sick. He calls them sick. He, he says it other times like, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but who to repentance? Sinners. So there's times in which he uses language, right, that, that like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that hurts a little bit. But at no point, right, even in welcoming sinners and tax collectors and others, he speaks kindly to them. Sometimes he calls them friend or daughter or those who are on the outside. But this, this, this is Peter. This is the very guy who just confessed him as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son, the living God. This Peter, who he just said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And here it is, just a few verses later, hearing these words from Christ himself. Get behind me, Satan. I think it's clear that Jesus is not saying that Peter is somehow demon-possessed. But indeed that Peter, listen to what again, let the context rule for us as we make our interpretations. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. So there's some hindrance happening, right? And ultimately, that's what Satan's desiring to do. Create a hindrance, right, to the work, the plan of God. Right, he says to him, for, right, here's, here's why he's saying this. For, he says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on what? The things of man. It's the way of man, it's demonic, right? It's the way of man that's in rebellion to God and his rule. It's, it's, it's the way of man that's a hindrance. Why? Because it wants to stop the substitutionary death of Christ in our place. James says something similar when speaking about worldly wisdom or the mindset of sinful man. Listen to what he says in James chapter 3. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There's a sense in which Peter, right, has this selfish ambition about, guess what? This is how God should act. This is how God should do. I mean, this is what Peter thinks, but the reality is he says, well, James says that kind of wisdom, it, it, it's earthly, it's unspiritual. And then he says that statement, it's demonic. Similar echoing Jesus's words to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Right? It's, it's this hard moment of, listen, let's be honest. Maybe you're here today and you, you've struggled to follow God because it's become difficult. Health didn't turn out like you had hoped or that relationship didn't turn around or finances haven't gotten better or... Maybe it's just difficult because people in the church are difficult and you've just had bad experiences. Perhaps even today that God has been, or maybe even now, He's calling you to take a step out of your comfort zone and you're just, man, it's just like, it's hard to take that step, to, to be willing to follow God there because you know that if you do that, it means suffering. It means hardships. It's going to mean self-denial. So other, it means if you say yes to God in this, that means you have to say no to other things. And that's not easy. That's hard. And listen, the reality is we all struggle with our own desires, our thoughts of man. So we might ask again, as he echoes back to him, listen, you don't have the things of God in mind. What are the things of God? I think it's a reminder it's salvation through suffering. 
It's rescue through ridicule. It's comfort through crucifixion. I think it's a reminder to us today as we hear Peter being rebuked that maybe we all too need to be rebuked. Maybe that you would just be honest that you've had some sinful mindsets that were selfish ambition or out of jealousy. And maybe just today would be just a reminder to you and to I that we too need to repent when we set our mind on things of man and not the things of God. That we just need to come and say, Lord, uh, I'm sorry, forgive me. I've messed it up, Lord. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's in your marriage or maybe it's somewhere in the church. Maybe it's on your job site or in your daily pursuits of the kingdom of this world, you just, man, you just, you just gotten derailed off the path. Maybe today you would hear Christ say, man, you got your mind all set on the things of this world and not the things of God. Maybe we would hear today just this call to come back and know that there's a way forward. And, and the way forward is hard, but I think this truth rises to the surface. The normal Christian life is a call to come and die. The, Suffering is the normal Christian life. It's this truth that, that, that rises to the surface. I've shared before, but um, we, we, we re, in reading through some of these books, and um, we, we recently finished Reformation Heroes, and now we've stepped into Puritan Heroes. And, and one of the boys asked recently, like, Dad, why do we read these each night, like after our time together? And I said, well, well guys, listen, I, I want you to begin to learn and know that the, the history of great men and women of the faith I want you to see and know what their lives were like, but also I want you to become convinced that suffering is a part of the normal Christian life, that the Bible speaks that followers of Christ, I mean, listen to Hebrews 11, these great people of faith, and man, they suffer, 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 suffer. So like suffering is not a sign that we don't have faith. It doesn't mean that God's mad at us or abandoned us, but I just said, guys, listen, the reality is you live in a culture that for so long like Christianity was like what everyone does. Like, in fact, like if you don't go to church or call yourself a Christian, sometimes you can be on, even on the outside of this culture. And that, that we were, again, we're seeing a ma- mammoth shift away from that. But the reality is many people have grown up in that. And listen, the, the truth is, I told my boys, like, listen, you just don't see many people suffer for their faith. And I don't want you to begin to think like that's the normal Christian way of life. I want you to see from the Bible, but throughout history, that men and women have suffered. And that's been the normal experience for the Christian life. I want you to realize when God may call you to go and be a missionary, I want you to realize that you must step away from the American dream because that's not God's dream. God's dream is that all people, nations, tongues, and language would come to know and worship Him. I want you to realize, boys, that when things don't go well in your life, I don't want you to know that God's not forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. That suffering is the normal Christian life. I'm a fearful that American Christianity has taught us that it's about me. And if I suffer, I'll get my fist and say, God, where are you? And I'll be honest with you, I struggle with this. That's a heart condition of my own that I struggle at times just wrestling with God, why are you allowing this to happen? So I read these stories not only for my sons, but for my own soul to remind me that suffering is the normal Christian life. That to follow Christ is, in his own words, a call to come and die. Verse 24, Jesus then told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Notice to come after Christ and to follow Him is a call to come and die. It's a call to self-denial. See, suffering is not just bad things happening to you. It's a surrender of your life. We suffer because then we don't always get to do what we want to do. It's not always satisfying our wants and our desires. In other words, the normal Christian life is one of suffering and self-denial, and that should not shock us. Why? Because that's the life of our Savior. That's the one we're following. But let's be honest, none of this makes any sense. None of this seems wise or appealing unless you first see the beauty and realize the worth of the one that you're following. It's the fact that Christ took on flesh and blood and He who knew no sin became sin for us that in Him we might become the very righteousness of God. Beloved, listen, I'm trying to show you today with all that is in me that Christ is precious. That He's worthy of your sacrifice. He's worthy of enduring suffering. He's worthy of you and I coming and dying. That it doesn't have to just be a religious duty or I have to go to church or I have to do this or that. But in fact, it can be joy. Watchman Nee, in his book entitled The Normal Christian Life, speaks these very words. He says this, this, and I quote, The whole question is, how precious is He to us now? If we do not think much of Him, then of course to give Him anything at all, however small, will seem to us a wicked waste. But when He is really precious to our souls, nothing will be too good, nothing too costly for Him. Everything we have, our dearest, our most priceless treasure, we shall pour out upon Him and we shall not count it a shame to have done so. Oh, I pray from my heart to be more like that, do you? I want my heart to consider it precious and worthwhile and a joy to surrender and give it to Him. Because Jesus says, for, again, we hear these words and think, I'm just not sure, Blake, that's just too much to deny myself and follow Him, to take up my cross, a life of suffering and self-denial. No, 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 no. Jesus has words for us to challenge those hard places of our hearts. For whoever, verse 25 of Matthew Matthew 16, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? What will it profit you or I if we gain the whole world and forfeit our souls? Or what shall a man or a woman, what shall you or I give in return for our souls? Hear this today from the words of Christ. It's possible to waste your life. Did you hear it? It's possible to waste your life. It's possible for us to strive after all the things of the world and in doing so we lose our lives. And it's not just losing our lives here and now. It's that we come to the end and realize that we lived our lives for the wrong things. It's the old adage, the illustration, right? You you put your, your ladder up against the wall and you spend your whole life trying to climb and get as high as you can only to come to the end and realize you put your ladder against the wrong wall. Beloved, some of you, Ladders are on the wrong walls. You're living for the wrong kingdom. You're going to waste your life. You're going, Jesus says, what shall it profit you to gain this whole entire world and lose your soul? Pastor John Piper says the passion of the unwasted life is to joyfully display the supreme excellence of Christ by the way we live. Possessions are given to us so that by the way we use them, we can show that they are not our treasure, but Christ is our treasure. Money is given to us so that we will use it in a way that shows money is not our treasure, but Christ is our treasure. I struggle with that. Do you? Man, I struggle with that. To show that Christ is my supreme treasure. 
But Paul gives us encouragement. Listen to what he says in Philippians 1, 20 to 21. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here again, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This passage and the one here in Matthew 16 gives us a basis for all of our decision making. And it's asking this question, will this help make Jesus Christ look like the treasure he is? Will this decision that I'm facing and what I'm about to consider doing, will it make evident and known to everyone that Jesus Christ is truly the treasure that he is? I hope and pray, beloved, as you make decisions, as you experience these moments in life that you are showing to the world that Christ is indeed your supreme treasure. Because Jesus, again, gives this final affirmation as He closes. Verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He's done. Notice three things. First, for the Son of Man is going to come. They say that two things are in life are certain. What are those two things? Death and taxes. You tell them something else is certain. Jesus Christ is coming again. You tell them Jesus Christ is coming again. It's certain. He doesn't say he might. He says, I am going to come again. For the Son of Man is going to come. Secondly, with his angels and the glory of his Father. And notice this statement here. And this is, again, why we must have this spiritual mindset of allowing the Scriptures to renew our minds because the world constantly bombards us. Our hearts can deceive us. But notice he says, and then. And then he will repay each person. The payment doesn't happen now. And that's what can make this living for this world so enticing because the payment happens constantly. You see it, right? You can experience, you can enjoy it. The bigger, the better, the more comfortable, the safe, the more secure. Gaining the whole world is appealing so here and now because the truth is, but the truth is that payment won't last. It's gone at death and it won't satisfy. I had an old man tell me once, Blake, I'll tell you this, everything will just end up on the trailer. Everything will end up just on the wagon at some point. Somebody else will come by and buy your box of goodies for $5. Right? We tell our kids, right? I mean, the adage, when we play games or whatever, they get some of them get all tore all to pieces. I don't know where they get that from, that competitiveness. Man, we got, we got fights ready to scrap out over, like, I mean, just the simplest thing. People are crying, mad, ready. I mean, we're ready to have brawls. I'm like, boys, dude, you realize at the end it all goes back in the box, right? At the end, it all goes back in the box. I, I'm just, I'm just going to be straight to my own soul today, and, and maybe you need to hear it too. All the things that we're living for in this world, at the end, it just all goes back in the box. And unless Christ returns, you're going to go back in the box. So you've got to hold fast because when the Son of Man comes, it's then He will repay. It's not now, it's then. So we've got to live differently. We've got to have a kingdom focus, not living for the here and now. Listen to what He says finally. And then He will repay each person according to what, church? What He's done. Just being straight with you, ministry and serving is hard. It's easier to enjoy the silence of your own vehicle riding here than it is to jump on a church bus and run and bring kids. It's just easier. It's easier, right? I mean, to stay here in America than be like Brother Greg and, and cross the ocean and leave your family and go and make disciples and learn a new language and be separated from your bride and your kids and everything that's easy here in America. But I have to be convinced that Greg realizes and believes that his Savior's worth it. 
That there's a God who's worth it. That there's a God who's worth you leaving your family for a week or maybe taking your family for a week to Oklahoma. There's a God who's worth it. If changers we pray comes, that you say, you know what, that week I could be doing other things, but I'm going to take that week and I'm going to take my kids or I'm going to take some neighbor kids or I'm just going to show up and let God use me to disciple others. Because I realize that there's going to come a day when my Savior will return and then He's going to repay according to what we have done. But the reality is ministry is hard and most of us, the temptation is just to fold up the towel and throw it in and say, I'm done with that because that's too hard or that's too frustrating or that's too time consuming. Might we hear our Savior as we close say to us, the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. To the, good, to the unbeliever here today, those who have not yet trusted in Christ, confessing him as Savior and Lord, I want you to realize that after Peter makes the good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter finds out and hears clearly that the call to confess Christ as Savior and Lord is also a call to come and die. I don't want to sell you that Coming to Christ will make your life better and everything will go great for you. But I will assure you of this, that there will be a Savior who will walk with you. There will be a God who will stick close, who will never leave or forsake you. There will be a hope internally that there is an assurance of what is yet to come. There will be a change of heart and desires and a desire to worship and serve the living God. And beloved, you cannot produce that on your own. As Jesus said to Peter, that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. Today, to the unbeliever here today, do you see the suffering Son of God in your place? Do you want to come and cry out, Messiah, Savior, rescue me? To the believer here today, church, listen, don't waste your life. Let's not be fooled in setting our things, our minds on the things of man. The normal Christian life is paved with suffering and self-denial. Let's open our eyes now and see the, un, the remaining unreached people groups. Yes, we want to pursue the lost in Allendale, but also to Algeria. 90% of the 43 billion people there are unreached. There's nobody sharing the gospel with them. Church, this will only be accomplished as the church rises up and leaves this place and goes. Or as Jesus might say, If you want to come after me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. It's not easy, but as the missionary to India, China, and Africa said, C.T. Studd, only one life, which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Christ, we come thanking you, God, for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Strengthen us now, God, to be faithful, Lord. Thank you for your grace that covers us. But, Father, I pray that in moments like this, we still hear the great call to surrender, to self-denial. Maybe today we need to hear the rebuke of our Master, Lord, that we have set our minds on the things of man and not the things of God. Father, I pray today that you would transform my heart and any other brother and sister in Christ in this room. And I pray, God, for those who are apart from you will hear the call. If you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But God, the beauty and the worth of the one we are following is so worth it. God, let us see the beauty of Christ. Let us treasure him. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.